All right, so if you're here with us for the first time, um, we started a series last week that we're calling He Said What? And the reason that we titled it this is because as you read the scriptures, you're going to see some things that Jesus says that, to be quite honest, don't always sit well with you. Um, so last week we talked about loving your enemies, when Jesus actually commands us to love our enemies. How many of you know that it's much easier said than done? <laughs> Especially when you have an enemy, right? Especially when you have somebody who's backstabbed you, especially when you have somebody who's hurt you, especially when you have somebody that you disagree with. So you can read these words and go, yeah, that sounds great on paper, but when I have to actually activate this and live it out, it's a completely different thing. So we talked about enemy love. How do we learn to love our enemies? And this week, I want to talk about a phrase. It's actually a tagline that Jesus uses at the very end of a parable in Matthew 20. And maybe you've heard it. Even if you didn't grow up in the, in the church world, you've probably heard this phrase. But he says, the last will be first and the first will be last. The last will be first and the first will be last. This is one of those sayings that gets misconstrued all the time. It's one of those sayings that we have a hard time understanding. It's one of those sayings that I tried to teach my kids many, many years ago what it actually means. And I remember a long time ago, I was sitting down with Eli and Isaac. Eli's my oldest son, and, and Isaac's right underneath him. And I'm trying to teach him like, what, what Jesus is actually saying here, that the first will be last and last will be first. And I remember hearing them arguing in the bathroom one time while they were taking showers. And Eli yells out at Isaac while Isaac's in the shower. And he says, you know what? You're going to take showers last in heaven because you always get the shower first here on earth. And I'm like, oh, gosh, that's, that's not what it means at all. Or I don't know about you, but I hate to be last. I, I grew up in an extremely, show of hands, how many of you guys grew up in an extremely competitive family? Like, my dad was the dad, like, at three years old, he, if you were playing soccer with him, he, was, he wasn't like, oh, I'm going to let you make the shot. He was like, boom, you know, like, go, denied, access denied. Um, and we, I grow up, I teach my kids, we grow up in a super competitive family. So this is why when we go out to eat, I say, boys, as soon as this car turns off, dart towards the line and cut everybody, and dad will follow you after, okay? You look at me like I'm a bad parent, but you do it as well. All of you parents with young kids, I know you do it. So we, we hate the idea of being last. I grew up with this mentality of second place is first loser, right? Like nobody likes to be last, especially in this culture. It seems countercultural to the world that we live in. Like if you want to get anywhere in life, it seems that you have to put yourself first, right? We also ascribe to this belief that if you want to be successful, if you want to get anything done in this life, it's almost like you have to run people over to make sure that you're first and other people are last. So in order to truly understand this statement, we have to read the entire parable. Because here's what we get really good at in church especially, is we quote lines and we don't understand the context behind it. Oftentimes when Jesus says something, if you take it completely out of context, you miss the meaning, what he's actually trying to say. So we're going to read the whole parable. It's in Matthew 20, uh, verse 1 through 16. It starts in verse 1 by saying this. For the kingdom of heaven is like this. Now let me pause there for a moment. I want you to get your heart ready to hear this. Because we have to pause and reflect on this. Because here's what Jesus is saying. He's about to say this is what my house looks like. This is what my kingdom looks like. For those that are called according to his purpose, for those who understand who I am, this is what my kingdom looks like. He says, it's a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. 
After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius day, he sent them into his vineyard and going out about the third hour. Let me pause there because some of you kind of are confused with the timing going on here. How many of you get confused with military time? Anybody? Am I the only one? Apparently. (laughs) So we get confused with military time. This is Hebrew time. So the third hour of the day is actually nine o'clock in the morning. Okay, so I want you, I'm just setting the, the frame here. You got some guys, they get up early in the morning, they get prepared, they got their sack lunches ready, they show up to this vineyard, they're about to go work the fields, it's nine o'clock. Now, it says the master, it says he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And, and to them he said, you go in the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give to you. So they went going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour he did the same thing. So here's, what, here's what's going on. You have these guys that start work at 9 o'clock. They've agreed for an entire day's salary. They start at 9, and then you have these other guys that the master sees out in the marketplace, and he says, hey, why are you standing there? Do you need some work? Yes, we need some work. Okay, go work in my fields. So you have guys that have been working at 9, then you have guys that show up at 11 that the master puts in the field. Guys that show up at 1 that he puts in the field. Guys that show up at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and they start working. Now, can you imagine the desperation that some of these guys felt in the marketplace? Because in this Hebrew culture, there was no bank system. Okay, There was a lot of Roman oppression, so here's what this means. If you didn't work that day, you didn't eat. So these guys are standing, ready, waiting to be hired out. In verse 7, or verse 8, And when the evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Now watch, this is what Jesus, this is what he's been working up to the entire time. Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last, and then go to the first. Now, hold on here. So you have guys who've been working since 9 o'clock in the morning. Then you have guys who have literally, they started at the 11th hour, meaning there was only one more hour and they were able to clock out. So you have guys who've been working for 11 hours and guys who have only been working for one hour. Now watch what happens. Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarii. Meaning they got paid the same amount that the people got paid that worked for 11 hours to 12 hours. And when those hired came about the 11th hour, each of them received a denarii. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarii. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day in the scorching heat. But he replied to them, Friend, am I doing you no wrong? Did you not agree with me for a denarii? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give this to the last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? And then here's where we get the line. So the last will be first, And the first will be last. Now, let's just be honest for a moment. When you read this parable, what do you feel? For me, when I read this parable, the first emotion that I felt was anger. Right? Okay, so you read it and you go, wait, hold on, Jesus. This doesn't make any sense. You have guys who've been sweating out there for 11 hours tilling this ground, working in this field, planting these plants, in the scorching heat, and then Jesus says, Pay them the same as the ones that work for an hour. That doesn't make any sense. When I first read this parable, I'm like, this is the everybody gets trophy parable. (laughs) 
right? This is like the soccer and the baseball fields, what American culture has become. Nobody's losers. Everybody wins. Everybody gets a trophy. Real world, people lose, people win, right? Like, I tell my kids this all the time. Like, well, I remember my kids, Eli was playing baseball, and they had this coach that was like, guys, we didn't lose today. Everybody wins. I'm like, son, you lost. <laughs> you lost. Y'all lost today. Like, in, in the real world, there's winners and there's losers. So when you read this parable, it's kind of like you feel that. Like, so is, is Jesus just saying, like, everybody gets a trophy. doesn't matter if you worked 11 hours or if you only worked one. Everybody gets the same amount of pay. But remember, in the very first verse, Jesus is setting up why he's telling this entire parable. He's saying, this is what my kingdom looks like. He's not saying it to make a statement about money. He's not saying it to make a statement about wages. He's trying to say it to make a statement about what his kingdom looks like. So here's the the idea, the moral of the story. The moral of the story is this. It doesn't matter if you've been serving the Lord for 10, 20, 30, 40 years or 40 seconds, you're welcome into the kingdom. That's the, see, and that's, that, that's what trips us off oftentimes because as Christians, here's what we, we get into this place of like, I deserve something, right? I've been serving the Lord for 30, 40 years and God hasn't blessed me like they, this person, he's only been serving the Lord for six months. Like, why isn't God doing that in my life? This is a parable and Jesus is trying to make a point by saying, this is what my kingdom looks like. Meaning, the gospel of Jesus is often never what you think it is. I'll prove it to you. When you come in and you first had your first encounter with Jesus, you felt completely unworthy and as you did not deserve the gift, and God still gave it to you. There are many times in my life where I relate so much with the parable of the 99 and the one when Jesus leaves the 99 to go be the one. I've been that one many times. I look at the context of my life and go, according to the worldly standards, I am not worthy, but yet God still chases me down. See, that, that is a fascinating, interesting, gracious God that we serve, that when you don't deserve it, he says, if you're a part of this kingdom, I still chase you down. If you're a part of this kingdom, like everybody gets a piece of Jesus. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want you to understand, first of all, that the gospel is often not what you think it is. When you felt like you were unworthy, God says you're worthy. When you felt like you weren't able to be chased down, God chases you down. So here's what I want to do, because most of us struggle with this. We have this wrong view of what the kingdom is really like. And this is what Jesus is trying to say when he says the first will be last and the last will be first. He's trying to get our alignment in this order that he's thinking about. He's saying, no, 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 this is what my kingdom looks like. So before we talk about the right way, let's talk about three wrong ways that we often get uh, trapped into. Three wrong things that happen when we have a wrong view of the kingdom. Number one, you see salvation as a reward. You see salvation as a reward, and this is a dangerous view. I'm not making light of this, but these are the people that don't really know if God is really with them. These are the people that on Sundays, when we have the opportunity, do you want to give your life to Jesus? They do it for the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth time. Like, I'm not sure. Did I get saved last week? I don't know. Can I tell you why we do this? We do this because we live our life based on a rating system. And we, we rate it on, well, this week I did well. 
And then you have a week that's terrible. Maybe you blew it. Maybe you said something that you wished you would have never said. Maybe you thought some thoughts and you acted upon some things that you wished that you never would have done. And in that system, if you live your life on that, then you have good weeks and you feel like God is pleased with you. And when you have bad weeks, you feel like you have to earn your way back to Jesus. And here's what God's saying. He said, that's not salvation. Salvation is not a gift that you can earn. It's a gift that you receive. It's a gift that you receive. This is when we make ourselves Christians by, well, I go to church. I give to the poor. I help others. I vote the right way, whatever that means. See, when we bargain with God and come to him on our terms, we miss the whole point of the kingdom. God's saying salvation is not a bargaining chip. It's not something you earn. It's not something where you had a good week and I'm pleased with you and had a bad, you had an off week and I'm not pleased with you and you have to work your way back to get me. God's saying, no, it's a free gift that I choose to give you. And when you see it as this bargaining chip, something that you have to earn, I will tell you this, friends, you miss the grace and mercy of God. Because there is nothing on this earth that I could do that would be good enough to technically be worthy for God. Nothing. So God says, I give you this gift because I deem you worthy through my son and the sacrifice that he paid for us on the, on the cross. So salvation is not a reward that you earn. It is a gift that you receive. It's the equivalent on Christmas morning, parents, when you have your kids tearing open the presents and you get this immense joy by giving something to them. And God knows most of them did not earn those presents, Right? You give it to them, why? Because you're a good mom, you're a good dad, you love your kids. That's why I started off with saying, see, when you're a part of a family, you give gifts to your kids regardless of who they are or what they've done. Number two, when you have a wrong view of the kingdom, you have a shallow perception of God. So if you look at the parable, you had the people who worked all day. Now I want you to understand something. The people that are complaining, they agreed with the master to get paid one denarii. So the master wasn't doing them anything wrong. They agreed to get that payment. But why were they complaining is the question. Were they complaining because they worked 11 hours and these guys only worked one? Not really. If you look at the story, they were actually complaining because they were judging the things they have based on what others have. See, we start complaining when we look at our lives and then we start comparing it to other people and go, I don't have what they have. Or he got this and I didn't get this. That's why social media is such a tool in in our society that honestly is just making us do like this. Because this massive comparison trap. How many of you have ever got on social media and you just feel worse about yourself? (laughs) You're like, I'm not on that vacation. I'm not on that cruise. I didn't eat that dinner. Or I'm not doing this. Or I don't have that kind of life. It's this comparison. And we start complaining based on comparing our lives to other people. And this is what happens in this parable. Where they look at, well, they only did this and I did this and it's not fair. And the truth is we see this with the Pharisees when they grumble about Jesus. In Luke 15, 2, it says, they say this about Jesus. It says, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Why is he doing this? This man receives sinners and he eats with them. I want you to understand something. Pharisees have a low view of God and a high view of themselves. They have a low view of God and a high view of self. So the question today that I want to ask you is, are you living so that you can place yourself to be first in every scenario of life? 
Because if you are, you're missing out on the kingdom that God has for you. If you're not careful, you'll get into this mentality that God actually owes you something. (laughs) Well, God, look at all the work that I've done. Like, you owe me something now. See, when you have a high view of self, you always miss out on how God is providing for you right now. Here's what I find fascinating. And I try to remind myself when when I'm complaining about my own circumstances. The fact that my brain is sending signals to my fingers to move at my will, is it astounds me. The, the, the fact that my brain is sending signals to my legs to move when I want them to move, or to make my voice say words, the words that I want to come out, it's fascinating. It's incredible. And then I look back at it, and I've seen my dad in hospitals for the past eight years, and people have been in much worse circumstances. And every time I leave a hospital, I have nothing else to do but say, thank you, God, for another breath. And we miss out on the generosity and the blessings that God has for us right now if we're always comparing our life to somebody else. See, if we fall into the comparison trap, it'll never be enough. It'll never be good enough. Apple is genius at this. They're genius at marketing. How many of you, like, you buy the new phone, and they're like, surprise, two days later, they come out with a new one. You're like, what? You get the new watch, and then they're like, well, we just, we just made an upgrade. It's this constant comparison that it's never enough. Number three, when you have a wrong view of the kingdom, and I feel like this is the most important one, you have no grace for others' failures. When you have a wrong view of the kingdom, you have no grace for other people's failures. You have plenty of grace for yourself, but no grace for others. You ever gotten yourself into trouble and you're like, God, please save me. I will, God, if you come through right now, I will do anything. I remember saying that in high school, like, God, if you just miraculously give me an A on this test, I swear I will never do this, 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 and this again, right? We pray those prayers. Here's what I've learned, though. A graceless person is a sign of a godless person. A graceless person is a sign of a godless person because here's what happens. When you have no grace for other people's failures, you are missing out the grace that God has for you every single day. A.W. Tozer put it this way. He said, a Pharisee is hard on others and easy on himself, but a spiritual man is easy on others and hard on himself. So I want to ask you this question today. What is your attitude towards people who are living a life that doesn't line up with the life that you're living? What is your attitude towards people that don't see the world that you see the world? What is your attitude towards people that are doing things that you don't agree with? I constantly have to remind Christians and church people of this. Lost people do lost things. Lost people do lost. If you don't know Jesus... You're just living life the way that you know how to, know, how to do it. And sometimes as Christians, like we crucify these laws. I can't believe you're doing this. They don't know the grace and mercy of God. And we have to remember the grace that God has for us. We have to learn to extend that to other people. Do you have this attitude, this mentality? Do you look at people and say, well, they made their bed, so now they need to sleep in it. Well, that, that was their decision, so they just need to, they need to suffer the consequences. Put yourself in that position. Would you say that about yourself? Most likely not. 
I had an experience this week that honestly just it broke my heart. I was driving uh, downtown Crowley. I just finished up this meeting at a coffee shop downtown, and I was going back to my house the back way. You guys know where Old Time Grocery is. Um, I'm in the middle of the rice bins, and I'm at this stop sign. I got music blaring, and I'm looking straight ahead, singing, you know, all this kind of stuff. And I'm boom, 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 I hear this thump on my window. I mean, scared the mess out of me. The, my first thought was, thank God this person doesn't come to church because I don't know what came out of my mouth. And it was a woman who was trying to sell her body. And um, I remember driving off, just going, and I'm a a man who has two daughters, okay? So I have a six-year-old and a little girl who's almost one. I can't imagine the heartbreak that I would feel if that was one of my daughters. You know what the tragedy, though, is for most Christians? We can look at people like that and go, well, you know what? They chose that. What if that was your daughter? I find it so fascinating how Christians, Christ followers, people that claim the love of Jesus will look at the single mother, will look at the woman on the street and go, mm, nothing to do with that. That's dirty. That's unclean. We don't need to put our, our, our we, we can't be around that. Why? I'm convinced, I am absolutely convinced if Jesus were to show up right now, those are the people he'd be with. He wouldn't be at the White House. God knows we need him there, but that's... <laughs> He wouldn't be there. He's like, where, where are the people that need me? Where are the people that feel rejected? Where are the people that are living their lives, that have been outcasted, that society has pushed aside? See, when I, when I thought about that woman at my door, all I could think about is, man, the life that she's had to go through to get to this point. See, a graceless, a graceless person is the sign of a godless person. You don't understand the grace and the mercy that God has bestowed upon you. See, I find it funny how oftentimes Christians want grace for ourselves when we want justice for other people. And we have to be careful of this. Because the essence of the gospel, when Jesus left, when he said, hey, go into all the world and make disciples, and do what? And teach them everything that I've taught you. There was no contingency about who we teach. Every single person. So this dives into this thought that I've been thinking about this week. And I've experienced it, unfortunately, too many times. But Christians who aren't spiritually mature are usually the most difficult people to be around. To be given so much and to love so little is one of the greatest sins of all. Think about it. The same God that aligned everything in this universe says, you know what, I'm going to send my one and only son for you, for the woman on the street, for the people that you disagree with, for the people that have backstabbed you, for the people that you don't like and who are your enemies. God said, no, everyone. And it's so easy to dive into this vein of going, God, I, I, need, I messed up, I failed, give me grace, give me another chance. But it's so hard sometimes to do that for other people. And what Jesus is trying to do in this parable is he's trying to align our view of the kingdom of God. He's saying, that's not how I view the kingdom. The kingdom is you can work for 11 hours, but even if you come in on the 11th hour and you only have one hour left, you're still welcome here. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, you can work for 11 hours and you can only work one. You still get all of me, not a piece. You still get all of who I am, regardless of how long you've been in this game. (laughs) You still get all of Jesus. 
See, it's a dangerous place to think, well, I've earned it and others don't deserve it. The truth is, if you fall into this thinking of, well, I've earned it and others don't deserve it, you will always be last. That's what Jesus is saying. You will always be last because you have this viewpoint of, well, you earned something and other people aren't good enough. So before I give you the two right views of the kingdom, I want to read a quote by Tony Evans. It's ever since I've heard it years ago, it's stuck with me. He says it this way. Justice is getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you don't deserve. And grace is getting what you don't deserve. And that's what Jesus does. He says, you don't deserve the love. You don't deserve the mercy. You don't deserve the grace. But because I love you so much, I give it to you anyway. So let's talk about two right views of this kingdom that God is trying to paint for us in this parable when he says the first will be last and the last will be first. Number one, he wants you to be surprised by God's grace and mercy. He wants you to arrive at this place in our life where we don't ask, well, God, why don't I have this? But we say, God, why do I have this? Why have you been so good to me? Why have you been so gracious to me? I want you to understand something, and I have to constantly remind myself of this. God does not bless you because you are good. God blesses you because he is good. And that's better news. Because if his blessing was contingent on my goodness, my God, help me. (laughs) But his blessing is contingent on the sacrifice that his son made, so it's on his goodness. God wants us to get to this place where we're not comparing our life. Well, I deserve this, and I earned this, and I worked hard for this. I want you to remember something. Every skill that you've arrived at in life, you say, well, I've been at this job for 20 years. I earned this. I deserve. Who gave you the gifting and the ability to do what you do? God. Who gave us the, the mind to be able to think the way that we think? Maybe you're creative or artistic, and you're able to do that. Who gave us that? It steps back into this grander view of the kingdom that God has been so good to me. And it takes on this whole other shape. The second thing that we have to realize to have a right view of the kingdom is you are grateful for God's generosity. That we're grateful for God's generosity. Now when you read the parable, where's the injustice in the parable? Because it sounds like from their complaints, it feels like, they think the master has been unjust to them. But if you read the parable, there is actually, there's absolutely no injustice that's been done. They're saying, hey, give us what we deserve. And the master said, I just did. We agreed at the very beginning, I'll give you a day's worth of work. So there's no injustice that's been done. And sometimes if we're not careful, we can arrive at this place in our Christian walk with Jesus and say, God, give me what I deserve. And God's like, you don't really want what you deserve. <laughs> You don't really want what you deserve because the truth is what we really deserve according to the scriptures is death. And God says, no, no, I wash over that and I give you grace and I give you a gift even though you don't deserve it. But because I am a good father and I love my children, I give this to you. So here's what this means. You may show up to the vineyard at the 11th hour and there's only one hour left to work and God says, welcome home. It doesn't matter how long you've been there. It doesn't matter how long you've been working. God is just, he is fair, and he punished all sins so that we could all receive his grace and mercy. So arriving at this place, 
That God is a generous God. I want to bring it to a close with this. It doesn't matter where we've started because we all start last. It doesn't matter where you start this journey because we've all started in last. And here's what I want you to understand. There's some of you that have been here for a time being and you've been kicking the tires and that's fine. Maybe you came from a place of genuine hurt. Maybe some people hurt you and you're here and I'm just here to heal. That's great. Welcome. We're glad to have you. But then there's other people that have just been kicking the tires and every single Sunday you feel that tug and that pull. Like, man, I know God wants more from me. But the reason that we resist is because we know that it's going to require something of us. And I want to remind you that faith is not just a belief, but it is an action. So here's what God is doing to some of us this morning. He's singling us out. He's calling us out. And he says, listen, it's time to stop kicking the tires and it's time to go all in. It's that we we push all of our chips at the table and say, okay, God, you can have my life. Because I want to tell you something. If you're not all in, you're not in at all. If you're not all in, you're not in at all. It's not like, here, God, you can have these chips. God said, no, no, if if this is going to work, I need everything everything. Now let me tell you something, that can be a scary place to live, but it's also the most adventurous place that you can live in your life. Following Jesus has been one of the most insane, crazy things that I've done. There have been times, I'm just being honest, where I've been angry at God, I've been frustrated at God, there's been times where I've been delighted at God. But all throughout the journey, I can say this, he has been a good father to me, regardless of what has happened. Have there been times and seasons in my life where I don't understand why he's doing certain things? Absolutely. Have there been times when I've I've shaken my fist and say, God, why? Absolutely. But isn't that what real authentic relationships are supposed to look like? Hey, God, I don't know where we're at, but we got to sort some things out. I'm angry. I'm frustrated. You know, God's not scared of your questions, right? He's not even mad that you're mad at him. (laughs) Let's sort this out. Let's work through this. So here's what I want to call some of you to do. There's some of you in here that need to make a decision to follow Jesus. There's some of you in here that have been, you're just kind of lukewarm. You've been, you know, you've grown up in church your entire life. You know what to say. You know how to answer people. When people say, hey, how are you doing? Oh, I'm just great. I'm doing well. Well, that's the biggest lie you could ever tell. (laughs) See, oftentimes if you grow up in church, but you've never encountered the radical presence of Jesus, you know all the answers to say. You know all the things to say that tick the boxes. And the only reason I can say that is because that was me. I knew how to answer every question. I knew how to say all the right things. I knew all the things to do, but I did not know Jesus. So I just want to encourage you today, wherever you're at, say, man, I'm unworthy, Zach. I was scared to walk into here this morning because I didn't know what Jesus would think of me. Do you know that Zephaniah says that God delights in you? He sings over you. There's not a single creation on this earth that God goes, "Mm, I wish I wouldn't have done that. Nobody's a mistake and he didn't start with you. He doesn't look over at his creation and go, man, I really messed that one up. No, he sings over us. He delights over us. He wants us. He deems all of us worthy. And he's saying, all I need you to do is just come to me and I'll give you a gift, a free gift of salvation.